Hi, we're going to go ahead and get rolling. My name is Ross Ramsey. I'm the executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Thank you all for coming. I uh, hope you've had a good day so far. Start the second half now. Got your empanadas um, all settled in your stomach, and we're off, off to the races here. Um, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm happy to welcome you to our seventh annual Tribune Festival, it's hard to believe, and our one-on-one -on -one with Glenn Hager, the yep. controller. This panel is sponsored by the Beer Alliance of Texas, which makes me feel kind of like a superhero. Um, <laughs> those sponsors and donors underwrite our events. They play no role in determining the content, the panelists, or the line of questioning. Uh, that's all my fault. Uh, Glenn Hager was the 36th controller of public accounts in Texas. He was elected in 2014. He's essentially the CFO of Texas. He's the treasurer, check writer, tax collector, procurement officer, revenue estimator, anything behind a dollar sign or with a comma between two numbers belongs to his office. He was elected to the Texas House in 2002, to the Texas Senate in 2006, 93 graduate of Texas A&M University. Not as many as I thought. Uh, and, well, okay, if, we're safe, we're safe, if, it's gonna be if good. If we would actually had beer in here, then we might have had more uh, in the, here. The, we'll, I we'll, can't believe the sponsors and we don't even have a beer in there. We'll, we'll alert on. the Beer Alliance. Um, and a graduate of St. Mary's Law School. Yes. So um, as we get started with this, you know, everything I was going to ask you kind of got blown up three and a half weeks ago. Right. Um, Harvey kind of changed everything, both in the headlines in the news for people on the ground, but also as a matter of state right. politics and policy. Right. Um, so start at home. This is your district. Yes, yes. Or I your mean, old Senate district. Yeah, it's very personal to me in many ways, because as you mentioned, in the Senate district, I used to represent... Rockport, Port A were the actual front of where the storm came in. And you know, you just, you know so many people when you represent them for eight years in the legislature and then three years in this capacity, just to see the devastation. And then to have a storm come just north of there and park slightly west of Victoria, Quero uh, area, and, you know, in Hammer, Refurio County, right. which was in the old Senate district and small communities that were having a hard time already and then come along the coast, and of course, Houston area, which is where I grew up. I was born in Houston, I've lived there all my life. Katy, which is where we call home, and to see so many of our neighbors, uh, you know, through Saturday, just to have to be in the bedroom with your kids downstairs, because it was just tornado warning after warning after warning, and you know, we're happy and we're smiling, because we don't want them to be scared, and, and the rain just doesn't stop. And uh, the, river, the bayou behind our house was just a raging river. I mean, it's just so freakish to lay in bed at night on Saturday night, and you literally think the river is right by your head. It's just how loud it is. And, and to know so many people in the area that are being flooded. And I mean, you all saw TV. I mean, Texans helping Texans. And, you know, really, I, I've joked in a few speeches. I was like, yeah, no, I always give those Cajuns a hard time. Well, <laughs> I'm not giving them a hard time anymore. Um, you know, for them just to pick up boats and come here, my next door neighbor, his two boys, who were in the, uh, two of the three that are in their 20s, was there. And also two of their cousins from Longview just hooked up their boat and came down and stopped at a convenience store in Longview, Texas. And uh, they said, hey, where are you going? You going to Houston? They're like, yeah. They're like, hold on. We're going to send you supplies and literally put a pallet of water. You know, I mean, just this huge stack of water and, and, and things, perishables. So it was really amazing huh. to see how people were helping people. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was pretty eerie. I mean, it really was. I never, ever imagined I would hear airboats in Katy, Texas. I mean, we're 60-something miles off the coast, and just to hear airboats starting at 4 in the morning and running until 2 o'clock Sunday, and then not long after that, to see 
National Guard helicopters and Coast Guard helicopters flying over behind your house and you're looking up and, and you know where they're coming from. Right. And you go, okay, there's probably people in there that we know. Or there's people at our church. You know, half of a third of our church had to be evacuated. I mean, 60 homes. I've got 20 plus employees that were flooded by the water. I mean, it's just it's so many of us, we know people. Right. And, and it really has changed the conversation in Texas. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a long recovery. And, and people don't realize how close Houston, Texas was from literally a catastrophic apocalyptic event if those if it would have rained again out out west because of the water overflowing from Cypress watershed into the watersheds that, that go into the dams and I mean the dams are at capacity and if they breach right it's unfathomable it really is and so we're gonna have to really continue to focus to how do we rebuild Rockport Port A whose talk space is gone you know, to deal with Beaumont, Port Arthur, who is not a very high income community. And it's just, it, it's really struggling right now. And so many people are. So what happens at the state level? How does this work? You know, you get through, the water goes back down, the storm leaves, and now you've got this giant mess to clean up and decide what yes. to rebuild, what not to rebuild. Walk me through sort of the policy conversation initially and then maybe over the next two years. Yeah, for, for me, at least in my office, you know, during the storm, the only real roles we have are, are two phases. One from the procurement side, we're in the command center trying to get bottled water, emergency purchases, right. fuel purchases, evacuation buses for, for people, and then also working with EPA as well as IRS to try to lift taxes, because the governor has the power. And so we, we do the work, the governor lifts the taxes, which is important to try to uh, give some relief, get fuel here as we had on, on Labor Day weekend, a lot of issues. But then now the conversation becomes, in my office, we're looking at working with TEA leadership along the coast, the federal, the federal areas that, that, that were um, the disaster areas, what is the tax base that's gone? Because one, there's certain assumptions within the budget of values, and that goes into the school financial system. So some of that value is gone. I mean, so your property tax goes in your school district. The state right. has to send more money. And the state has to send more money. And then say, for example, I'll use uh, the, the worst case example from a school district is uh, in Aransas County, ISD. So again, in Rockport, I mean, that school within, I think it was a week, 10 days after the storm said, we are closed indefinitely. Indefinitely means they're not open anytime soon. And so children, you have to go somewhere else. That means either 30 minute drive to Corpus, an hour drive to Victoria, but there's nowhere to live because it's devastated. So here's the thing, those children, I was in uh, Brownwood, Texas or earlier this week on, on my manufacturing tour and there's children in Brownwood, Texas. I mean, I was in Midland. Really, from the coastal plains? From the coastal plains. Uh, there are children that have been, uh, had to leave their homes, their school districts, and there are kids in both Midland and in Odessa going to school now, way out there in the Permian Basin that have been removed. Right. And so you, you, now the state has to send money to those school districts because now that pupil is in the school, but going back to Aransas County ISD, that if all the money moves from that school district to where the kids are at now, because right. there's none there, guess what? What do they have to do? They have no money? They have no tax base locally, so what do they do? They have to fire all the staff. Well, we don't want that to happen. So right. leadership has had a discussion that we have got to hold harmless, and usually it's a very isolated situation. But this storm, when you go from the edge of Corpus to the Sabine River, it's such devastation. But so really, from a budgeting standpoint, a right. lot of people talk about, oh my gosh, you know, the storm, it's gonna cost the state. Well, the bulk of the dollars are either federal dollars or insurance dollars. However, this scenario is going to be different 
because of the education system. And, and, and we're still trying to pin down what exactly that dollar amount is. I talked with my staff last week, some initial estimates of along the coast, but I'm not really ready to say a number yet because we're still trying to Not even a wild ass guess. And, and I don't want to do that quite yet. Um, I, I, I know the number in my head, but I just, I don't want to say the improper number out there and get it on leadership's list when I think next week we'll have a better idea of what those costs are. Evan DeLuna over at the Center for Public Policy mm -hmm. Priorities put together a thing that said she was looking at what the state had actually spent in previous disasters. Right, right. And it was surprisingly small amounts. Very small. I mean, it, it, you know, in Ike, I think the state spent 300 million. Right, right. The Fed spent 35 billion. That's right, that's right. Is this going to be comparable? Yes, it is. It is going to be comparable. And that, that's my point is that the state doesn't have a significant expense when it comes to these types of storms, unlike the federal government and or uh, whether it's insurance. However, the state is gonna have to take a really hard look at some of the infrastructure. And, and my point being what I was saying earlier is that I really think the state has a role to make sure that this type of flooding event which can come from a wide variety. I mean, we're not talking about a Hurricane uh, Harvey again. It could be a rain and then a rain a few days later or a month later before the reservoirs decrease. We've got to get a third reservoir built to hold water back over in the Houston area because, you know, as, as I was talking to the county judge the other day, and he said, well, you know, some people have flooded three times in two years. So either our maps are off or either it's not going to happen for another 1,500 years. Well, <laughs> let's not assume the latter. Right. Uh, we, we, and, Houston's a big economy, but we also need to be cognizant of making sure that, you know, Rockport, Aransas uh, County, for example, and over in Beaumont, Port Arthur, because it's not just Houston. Right. Uh, you know, on the coastal areas, uh, you've, you've got, you know, farmers and ranchers that they had a great cotton crop until the storm. Now they have nothing. So rural communities were hit very hard as well. Okay. And you got to take it all into account. Quick program note. Somebody got a text a minute ago. I forgot to tell you to turn off your buzzers on your cell phones. If you could turn those down, if you're tweeting, um, it's TribFest 17. So, sorry, program note. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the economy and what this did to the economy and in turn what it did to the revenue estimate and right. in turn what it does to the state government. How's that? Yeah, we're... We'll so sales be, go down for a minute. They will slightly for a downturn. You know, if you're in some of the smaller communities, they'll go down for quite a while. If you're in the Houston area, it, it'll go down a, a little bit. You'll see a dip. Uh, but then some, so far this month, sales tax revenues, you know, they start coming in on the 20th and I've got preliminary numbers and they, they look pretty good. But you, you don't really say until the, the final month is closed because you never know if there's going to be big refunds or anything that can change that number substantially. Right. But we had said in the revenue estimate, the state of Texas was going to grow about 3% for this biennium, which is lower than 3.8% that we have averaged over the last 20 years, which is very st strong growth, 3.8 growth. Now, of course, fiscal year uh, 16, we only grew about 0.3%. I mean, wow, it was almost negative. Um, but, but, you know, you had the downturn in the oil and gas industry, manufacturing industry, and that was offset really by the Metroplex. San Antonio continued to do well, El Paso, as well as here in Austin. And so those really out offset to be flat per se. But the first quarter of this year, uh, the state of Texas grew by 3.9%, which outpaced any other state in the nation. So Texas, first calendar quarter. the first calendar quarter. So it, it, it looks as though Texas will continue to grow. There'll be a downturn immediately, but then as people get back to rebuilding, guess what, a lot of what they're buying, they pay sales tax on. And so really there'll be an offset. So the biggest thing is, is an offsetting of the timing of the revenues more than anything. I'll give you the easiest example. There were 500,000 cars that are ruined. Roughly $5 billion in value gone. But they've got to buy replaced cars. So in buying replaced cars, guess what? Now you're going to see 
an upswing in the sales tax revenues for motor vehicles. Right. However, you'll see a downturn in those numbers from what we estimate in the next year, in the next year, because when people would normally replace those vehicles, they've got they're new not. cars. Yes. And so there'll, there'll be some mismatching of timing of revenues, but I don't, we don't see that it's really going to impact the budget revenues overall one way or another. Um, but then also we've been working on the certification revenue estimate. So I'm get ready to release that here in a couple more weeks, I think, probably the end of the end of October, beginning of October, I forget. But it looks like, you know, really everything's tracking along with pretty much what we said in the BRE as well as what we said in the the revenue update for do special you, session. Do you keep your thumb on that for a minute just to see if there's any aftershock? No, I think we're we're pretty confident in uh -huh. what the numbers are gonna be. You know, we I mean I talked to Tom Kerr in revenue estimating division. I mean we talked at least <clears throat> every couple of days, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, just because there's so many factors that go into a state. I mean again, just just to think about the size of the economy in Texas with twelve economic regions, I mean one region alone would be, you know, Houston or the Metroplex would roughly be the 14th largest economy in America. Just one of them alone, and you have two of them. Right. And then you add in everywhere else, the other 10 economic regions, and you get a $1.7 trillion economy, 10th largest in the entire world. So my point is, is there's always conflicting data right. on different areas. You know, during the downturn, just to make a point, we lost 160,000 jobs in the oil and gas industry, yet 22 out of the last 24 months we've gained jobs. And we've gained 299,000 jobs in the last 12 months. You know, and so in some areas, it's right. going down in other areas, which, which my point is just it's blessed that Texas is much more diverse than we used to be. Are there other areas of the economy that uh, you're going to have an eye on? Oil and gas is one. It was already down. Um, right. A lot of their infrastructure was right in the path of this. Right. There's still a lot of things going on in the oil and gas industry. I mean, I was just, like I said, I was just in Midland uh, on Thursday giving a speech, and it's pretty amazing of how much uh, inf infrastructure is still going in and, and how much activity is going in. You right. don't see the sales tax revenues in the mining industry have made it back to where they were before. They're still roughly about half of what they were at the height a couple years ago. Um, and, and obviously severance tax is not back at the high. However, we will transfer over into the economic stabilization fund and fund six highway transportation funding that is uh, later this year since we closed the books in August and last fiscal year, I think of about 734, 39 million each. So that's, and you know, that's each one of them gets 37.5 of what comes in in a fiscal year. So mm -hmm. that's still pretty decent, healthy numbers. But yeah, what I think what we have cautiously been paying attention to the most is really just how the retail sector has just not really seen significant growth. And that brings in the bulk of the sales tax revenues, you know, the 28 right. plus billion, that's a little over 10 billion of it. And so- Is that, that, is that, that structural? I mean, is that, you know- I really don't know the answer. We're buying that. on the internet? I, I, some is internet, but I think that's a much smaller portion yeah. than, than the bigger picture here. Yeah. Um, but part of it too is, you know, a trend we've seen where people are buying more items that are not taxable, such as healthcare and housing. So they're spending a bigger portion of their budget in the areas where we don't collect tax from. Okay. Some of us noticed a second ago that you said rainy day fund without saying rain. Mm -hmm. um, yes. There's been a lot of conversation about whether you use that in a storm like this, I think partly because the word right. rain is in there. Right. Um, and there's been a lot of conversation about, um, you know, the governor and some others have said we don't need to have a special session because we can cash flow this. Right. Um, can you walk us through that? Yeah, that was one of the things I was talking with some leadership the other day is that uh, 
just many people don't realize that obviously I'm using general revenue dedicated accounts, whatever's in the treasury to pay the bills, as well as I will use some economic stabilization fund. We will borrow money and bring it over into the general treasury and then I pay it back, obviously, into the economic stabilization fund and pay it back with interest. And so that's a little bit of a cost to, to general revenue. We'll use that for bridge dollars. Say, for example, as many of you may know, in the first three and four months of the fiscal year, which started in September, so for between now and the end of, of this <coughs> calendar year, we send the school districts half of their money for this entire fiscal year. And why? Because they don't have their property taxes yet. Right. So the state has decided, well, we will bridge that cash flow with sending them extra money so they can cash flow, but then that also means that we have a mismatch of our timing of our revenues and our expenditures. So say for example, our deepest hole is typically that, that week of December, first week of December, and uh, we, you know, we like to have ex at least half a billion in the treasury. That's, that's just our extra cash we want to keep on hand, just in case just, there's just something. Just like my just house. A, yeah. yeah, 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 like all of our houses. <laughs> so that deep, <laughs> yeah, I wish, uh, that deep hole that we see is roughly $13.6 billion. I mean, that's a huge number. So there's a, to, to fill that gap of that bridge is a combination between the GRD accounts that, that we have as the state, right. because that's money that's sitting there. Part of that bridge is our Texas revenue and anticipatory notes, which is one year cash that we go out and borrow. That's 4.4 billion that we decided to, to borrow from the market this year. And then a portion is economic stabilization fund. So my, my point is saying, we have cash to cash flow. We have more ESF money that we can. We don't have to have a special session because it's got 10.2 billion. I'm only using roughly half of it. I still have more right. in there that we can, we can cash flow until they come back into a special session. But I think what you were asking uh, somewhat is should you use part of the economic stabilization fund for a disaster like this? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yep. the, the, what other good use is it for? I mean, and, and most of it, as you know, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a, a soapbox I've been on for a while. I mean, we take that money because we never envisioned it have any money in it. and started having money in 07 with the, with the uh, takeoff of the oil and gas industry again. Right. And now with all this money, and because of old statute, when it was put into place in, in the 1980s, when it was first created, I mean, literally, I analogize it to, we take that money and we bury it on the Capitol lawn in a hole. I mean, do any of you bury your money in a hole? Do any of you take your money and put it in a mattress? No. Do any of your money put it in a coffee can and put it behind the ice bucket in the freezer like Grandma used to do several decades ago? Not, not no. everybody else does that? I, I don't know, <laughs> Ross. Not, not, not any sane person. So, you know, it's amazing that <laughs> Fair enough. We, need, we need to either put the dollars to work, right. you know, in the market like you and I would to be able to earn an extra amount of money. And, and you know, I think uh, me and one of the state reps were talking about this earlier. I mean, if, if we would have been able to put in place the reforms that I was suggesting. Yeah, walk session, through that proposal a little bit. Yeah, really, my point just being is that money just sits in the general treasury pool. So it, it just sits there and it doesn't earn any revenue. Right. And, and actually it cost us money because the purchasing power with inflation over time, it means that your money is worth less. Which, this is Texas for God's sakes. We're smarter than that. I mean, every other oil state but one is already doing this. I mean, I, you know, I kind of joke, I'm like, if West Virginians and Louisiana people can do this, Texas can do this. Uh, come on, uh, really, we can do this. And, and so the whole concept was to keep a certain money, amount of money, and just cover inflation, just in case you have to have the dollars. And then anything above that so-called sufficient balance um, for transportation fund, anything above that amount, go out and try to earn a higher amount of return for it, like you do in the pension system, like right. you do in my office, and we've been doing for a very long time with the endowment. We have the tobacco settlement endowment dollars. 
I mean, this is what we do in the trust company. You already have the mechanism for this? We already have the mechanisms, the process. Uh, we took over, you know, say for example, the Emerging Tech Fund from the governor a couple sessions ago. We're managing those, working with CPRIT on, on several different things that, that CPRIT has. And so we're already doing these things. We're not reinventing the So wheel. the law keeps you from doing this with Rainy Day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 it sure huh. does. I can, uh, up until two sessions ago, we literally just had to keep it in the treasury pool. And, and two sessions ago, we were allowed to take a portion of that. And back then, I just wanted to demonstrate, look, we, we can actually return inflation on this. And so now the idea was if you, you took a certain amount of dollars, earn a higher rate of return, and just a reasonable rate of return, and a very diversified, you're not right. running very risky strategies here, what we would have been able to bring into the treasury into the ESF, not the general treasury, because it stays in the economic stabilization fund, would have been another $400 million this biennium. And because it's a building block and it grows over time, in the next biennium, it had been over $600 million. $1.1 billion. Right. But we don't have it. That, that could have went to disaster relief. I mean, just common sense things. But yeah. we'll get there. I think we'll get there ultimately. One, one last question about Harvey, and we'll have questions from the audience in a little bit. Um, if you had seen that storm six weeks earlier than you saw it, when you went to New York to borrow the, mm -hmm. the notes, would you have borrowed more? That's, that's a good question. No, I don't think we, we so would have. You're, you're pretty uh, happy with? I, yeah, I think we're good where we stand. Um, right. I really do, and that's the reason dur during the storm, I was talking to my staff and making sure we just walk through and, and, right. and understand. And we did, we did a presentation for the legislature before uh, last session showing what are the times that you really take money out of the economic stabilization fund. And it's really either three buckets. One, which is down on the lower end, um, is disasters. Right. You know, this or fires. Uh, we've taken it out for the Bastrop fires and those sure. fires a couple of times. And then the secondly is tax cases. A big tax case if I lose a tax case because then we have refunds that we have to pay back. And then the third one is economic downturn. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, there's, there's very few in the bottom two. It's mostly up here on the downturn. But I think we should use some dollars for this type of event personally. Okay. okay. You're on the periphery. You're certainly going to be one of the people that legislators go to numbers for as they dive into school finance again. Right. I have an old newspaper framed in my office from 1931 that says, what's the state going to do about school finance? Uh, so they solved it, and then you guys messed it up somewhere. Uh, yeah, my, my predecessor in the state senate, I used to hear uh, Armbruster's speeches, and you know, I didn't believe half of it, but, but I really liked this one. As he had said, you know, when I first ran, I went down to the Victoria Advocate, the second oldest newspaper in Texas, and I wanted to know what were the issues back when Texas was becoming you know, a, a state, and what, what were the issues? And right there on the front page, there it was. It was education, <laughs> transportation, yeah. and crime. What has really changed? And, uh, but, you know, it's kind of like a road. Well, you build it and they're like, when are you gonna be finished with construction? Never, because right. it's a capital asset, you know, right. like, your, like your house, there's always something to repair. So school finance, it, it is something that, that continually comes up and it comes up about every 10 years. And, uh, you know, I think that obviously the biggest issue is always money, that, that's the biggest issue. And then just, just policy decisions, which, you know, that's not, that's not my play, that's the legislature, separation of power branches and that's, that's their, they're the policymakers of how they want to put those dollars to work and if they can put them to work a little bit different than what we do. But it's going to take money to bring in back into balance the local share and the state share. So you've been a legislator. You were in there the last time they did this, 2006. They mm -hmm. did the franchise tax mm -hmm. fix. They tried to push down local property taxes. Right. They did for a while. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And now we're back in the soup. That was forced by a Supreme Court decision. And we don't have, we don't have, that now. We don't have Big Brother holding a hammer right. over our head right. now. 
Uh, are but, they, we're, but we're back at those levels. Again. Are they sufficiently motivated to do this, and how do you think they get out this time? I mean, uh, you know, the, there's the, some the, obvious the, options. The argument has always been that the legislature will not take action unless the Supreme Court tells them to do that, and, and I disagree with that. I mean, I think that once it becomes imbalanced enough, and usually it's about kind of where we're at now, you know, the state shares, I think, 38% for, right. for this biennium, and to bring that back into play, that's about a $9 billion fix. You know, four and a half billion a year, that's a significant amount of money. And, and so I think the legislature knows that they need to. And I think that, you know, they, both sides talked about it significantly and worked on it some last session. And they're, you know, the, a new select committee that they put together, put that right. in, into place. And that's been put on hold again because of the hurricane, I think. But once they get back to that conversation, I mean, I got faith they'll work on it because they know that they've got to bring that balance back in. So if they said, hey, Hager, we need a spreadsheet with some ideas about how we might raise $9 billion over two years, go. Well, we'll work with them on that, um, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> work with us. Yep, 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 we'll work with them on that. Um, you know, it's, it's always hard. I right. mean, there's, there's three legs to any stool for funding state government, and, uh, or any government, and it's property taxes, uh, sales tax, and then I'm not going to say that other one because you're going to say whether Hager's for uh, he's against it. It starts with an I, if you haven't noticed. Um, and it's a ban in the Constitution, so we're not going to have one of those. And then you start looking at exemptions and exclusions. Right. You know, and this came up in the very beginning of the session in, in Ways and Means. Somebody had asked the, the question, I mean, we collect roughly $28 billion, as I mentioned, in sales tax. But we exclude, if I recall, I think it's you know almost forty billion. But then people go, oh, that. Well, let's go tax that stuff. Okay. Well, you want to tax bottled water? You want to tax groceries? You want to tax medication? I mean, there, there's a reason a lot of those exemptions and exclusions are in place. Right. So it, you know, once you get into it, it obviously it gets harder. Um, right. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we work with legislators all the time. They got questions. We're happy to put numbers together, and then it's their policy decisions on on where they want to go and how they want to solve it. Do you have a policy role in it? I know they make the final decision, but do you, do you actually get a policy role in this one? I don't think that I do or I should. I mean, I, okay. when I came into this office, I've tried to step significantly back from the policy side of it. And I, I think that my role is different as the provider of facts and information and not really the policy decision. I'm, I've got my opinions just like you all do, but I'm not elected over there. I'm elected in a different position. Okay, I gotta touch on the weirdest thing that your office does that's new now, gold. Yes. Um, so you had a little Fort Knox somewhere under yes. downtown Austin? Yes, yes, um, and we're not gonna tell you where it's at. Because um, I, don't, I don't want you driving in those little bitty cars. But there around. actually is a room yeah, yeah. with a bunch of gold ingots in it. Yeah, there's gonna be one, absolutely, absolutely. Um, cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that has been a really interesting <laughs> Next challenge. Next Cage movie or something. Um, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll make a movie on it. Um, maybe you have a starring role. You'll have to bring the beer though, if yeah. uh, the beer guys sponsor it again. Um, but. It, it has been a real challenge. I mean, no state has ever attempted to create a, a, a bullion depository. Nobody has ever done anything like this. And, and it comes from very different issues. And two, it's kind of interesting because, you know, State Representative Gio Capriglione, who authored the bill the session before it passed, has one idea. Senator Colcourse, the Senate sponsor, has a little bit different idea. So I've got two authors that have a little bit different legislative intent coming here. And then I've got a bill that has gaps. And so obviously our job is to fill in the gaps and make this work practical. Uh, as I tell legislators on, on different issues, I go, you know, your job is to pass a bill. <laughs> Mine is to implement it. And you know, what we have to do for implementation is, is a lot more details. But this has been a real challenge. But I think we've met a lot of those hurdles. 
through this last two and a half year process, and obviously we announced after session that Lone Star Tangible Assets mm -hmm. is, is gonna be our partner and contractor on this. They have a facility here in Austin. They have a vault, a class three vault. They are working on the location right now and we'll probably be announcing where that will be very soon. On, uh, we're gonna open the shop up January of next year at their current facility. And then hopefully the year after that, January of 2019, we'll be able to have the new location open up. You know, the biggest question on this that I have is really simple. Why are because we doing the legislature that? told me to do it. Well, I know, but what, I mean, is there, <laughs> I mean, I, well, because not, I say why you say because, okay. I mean, come on. I mean, is there a good, um, uh, you, don't have to make a you, don't, you don't have to make a value judgment about no, it. No, I, I think, what, I is think there's some kind of underlying. Yeah, I, think, I think there's several different, several right. different angles you can look at. Uh, one, if you look at the fact that there is not in the precious storage area, whether you want to come into a bank and you make a deposit in your account, and then you come at some time later and you want to make a withdrawal, well, it was your paycheck you put in, but you don't get exactly your dollars back. You get dollars, but it's not your dollars. Or if you put it in a, uh, a segregated space that you can get your actual gold or whatever you have stored. So there's two different ways segregated and then uh, commingled, so that you, we will end up having both. But one of the things is the fact that sometimes in the gold area, storage areas, that you know it's really not, it's not, there's not a state agency that really oversees it per se. The federal government doesn't have a lot of regulation over it. And so in essence, sometimes it, it disappears. And so I think part of it is the security of knowing the state of Texas is gonna play a very strong role in making sure that it's safe and it's secure. And, and I think that that is uh, attractive to not only people in Texas, attractive to people in the nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had a guy earlier this morning just stop and said, hey, I got a question for you. I said, yeah, what you got? When's that bullion depository gonna be open? <coughs> I mean, I get, I get that question. Really? All, I, I really do. It's pretty amazing. And then also the fact that, um, well, we'll see. We've got a long ways to go and we've got to get it open, but you might even see people from around the world that want to store their gold in Texas. Um, and you know, you don't have to have a big facility because any bag or purse that you have, you can have a lot of that. Now it's heavy to carry around, but uh, it's a lot of value you can store in a very small place. How much do you think you're gonna be storing? Uh, I'll tell you after we get open. Okay. How big a room is it? <laughs> I can't tell you that, Ross. All right, uh, fair enough. If you, if you value your life, I can't tell you. <laughs> Let me think about it. Um, so one of the things that's been going on as you have been controller, since you became controller, you know, the power of this office uh, peaked and then ebbed for a while mm -hmm. and uh, seems to be coming back into it. Uh, the Bullock era had this phrase um, that I learned as a young reporter that everybody has numbers, ours count. And they were pretty good about enforcing their numbers. So if the lieutenant governor or a speaker or a governor said, I think it's going to raise X, the controller would say, I think it's going to raise Y. Right. And Y was the number that stuck. They got a little bit fuzzy over the years. Right. And I, I have the impression watching that um, you're trying to yeah, I don't think, you know, well, I'll just say, uh, Go back I, I, I can't say prior controllers, but it does freak my staff out a little bit when they'll get emails on a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon, and I'm sitting there literally looking at sales tax history for the last, you know, 15 and 20 years. And, uh, you know, when the oil and gas downturn, I was like, wow, this is really amazing. We're at the mark that we were in 2010 in September, you know, whatever the exact date was. Right. And later my staff was like, he really looks at this stuff. I mean, but I really enjoy to delve into that. I mean, that, that it's, it's what we do. That's the crux of what we do. And our numbers, they, they have to matter because you can't pass a budget without a revenue estimate. But, you know, I, don't, I said when I ran 
my job is not to play with the numbers and 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 I, whatever the numbers are is what they lie. Now, with that being said, again, it's a big economy. You change one little dial here, one little dial here, and you can have a lot of different outcomes. Right. And, but um, our job is to not play with it because I want people to know that what we are saying, we fully believe. And uh, now, obviously, the numbers could easily change with just a couple of the dials. But, um, you know, I think that that's obviously that's that is the power of this office. But you know, I think that at the same time, just because you have that doesn't mean that you should overplay your hand. Are you being um, pretty assertive about it, though? I mean, it looks that, like the controller is more of a hand in budget than it was, you know, a couple of cycles ago. Well, um, I, more I, of a I hand, mean, I, more of a hand in things like sunset and and costing bills and things I think, like that. I think we should play a role in that, right? Uh, because. Of everything that we do around here, I mean, I was in the building for 12 years on both sides of Rotunda, now in the executive branch. Everything that we do, the numbers matter. Right. The budget matters. Whether it's, and we've talked about a lot of this, transportation, public education, pension systems, deferred maintenance, all these things matter. And that's where I think my office should play a significant role, at least in providing information to the people that make the decisions. And that and that that's that's the role that we play, and I think we should now. You know, it's not our decision; it's their decision ultimately. But shame on us if we don't point out what all those numbers are, because they have big consequences, yeah. and and they need to know that information. Yeah. And they've got very capable staff, but you know, we've got a lot of staff who's been around a long time, and uh, they they can they can they have diced and re put together all these jigsaw puzzles many, many times. I mean, there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge in that building. It's pretty amazing. So in your time in Austin, the, the, what started as performance reviews in the controller's office right. went to the LBB, right. and uh, I guess it's the gear report now, mm -hmm. which is, uh, seems to be out of favor with the lieutenant governor and some others. Um, so that's kind of disappeared. You also have a history on Sunset, right. which is kind of related to that. Right. Is that an area that you'd like the controller's office to get back yeah, into? That, that's an interesting question. When I campaigned for this position a few years ago, I think I was the only one in the election cycle, Republican and, and maybe Democrat, uh, who didn't recommend bringing those back over to the office. Um, and one of the reasons is because when they were started, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. Right and the fruit's gotten harder and harder, and that's one thing on Sunset. Uh, the efficiencies are harder to gain over time. Now, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you need to, I think, I think it still plays a very valuable role. Sunset does? or Sunset right. does, and, and looking at agencies, however, my point is is that the low-hanging fruit is all gone now. It's very high-hanging fruit, so it's, it's harder to gain greater efficiencies and effectiveness right. than before. Um, so, so I have not advised to bring that over. Really, my effort was, to focus on my core constitutional duties, which is revenue estimating, tax collection. Oh, did I say that? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm your tax collector. And then the treasury side of it. And you know, in, in, in doing that, uh, we actually, we had major event trust fund, the event trust fund. You know, we shipped those off to the governor's office. We right. shipped a couple programs over to Workforce Commission. I mean, we actually got rid of programs. I mean, what elected ever gets rid of programs? But the point was of that is, that's, that really wasn't what we did. And right. I felt like we should focus on kind of those core. So, you know, I'm not really looking to bring anything into the office, but they keep giving me stuff anyway, which, mm -hmm. and we smile and we do it. You know, the other way that they've done this over the years, um, I mean, and this goes all the way back to the first controllers, is special projects. Right. Like, it would not be, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but it would not be uh, without precedent for the governor or the right. lieutenant governor or the speaker to say, why don't you cook up some school finance stuff? Right. And, 
Yeah, we're, I mean, it was kind of a joke uh, in my office the other day because uh, I had told them a few years ago I wanted to do a special report, you know, our fiscal notes. Right. And we, we, we issued those on, you know, important matters in the state. And so we did one, uh, it was before last legislative session about balance sheet issues. And mm -hmm. I think it was pretty well received within, within the building and outside. And so I had mentioned to them during the storm, I said, all right, we're going to do one on the hurricane. You know, make sure that everybody understands what's the fiscal implications, what's the role that we play, just because a lot of people don't know. And then also, I told them, let's, let's talk about Texas Task Force One, you know, and all the people that they saved, which is really remarkable, and, and weave those into report. And when I was in the office the other day, whatever issue we were talking about, I was like, hey, this might make a, spe a good special edition fiscal report. And Brysig, my deputy controller, he's like, hey, it looks like we're going to issue one like every two weeks. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the point being is we're happy to play those roles. And I think we should be putting that type of information stuff because we've got really creative, good people in the agency that can really put a lot of good information together. Is that just information or is that policy? I mean, it seems like if you say, well, if you say hey, this would be a good idea, do whatever you, you want, you can, you're you, making a policy You obviously can get over into both. Right. But, you know, what I, what I try to do is make sure that we're providing good information but not necessarily swaying it to go significantly one direction or another. Now, obviously, on, on a redesign of the Economic Stabilization Fund, yeah. But, but I think I have a fiduciary duty there. Right. I mean, that to me, so do I have a fiduciary duty in my role as the CFO of the state of Texas? When I do, then yeah, I'm going to speak up on that issue a lot more than I will be what I see as kind of not the fiduciary responsibilities kind of or the policy that they have. Okay. okay. Uh, let's talk politics for a minute. Okay. Uh, you're on the ballot 2018. Mm -hmm. Nobody there yet? I haven't had any Republican opponent. I got a Democrat opponent. I think I got a Libertarian opponent. So, oh yeah, I got, I got, I got competition. So it's on. We're ready. We're ready. It's on. We're um, on. It's on. You thinking about running? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> That'd be the easiest race you ever ran. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm, you should sign up. Then. I'm, I'm curious about. No, it'd be easy for you. Um, <laughs> I I'm, know. That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm curious about the. The, um, I'll pay your filing fee. When we were kids, there were, there were two parties in Texas and they were both Democrats. And now we're kind of two parties in Texas and they're both Republicans. Right. Which one are you in? I'm in the Republican Party. How do you negotiate this? I mean, you've, you've had this great seat yeah. at, at the world's most interesting breakfast, I guess, yeah. um, for a while there. It was the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker, and the controller, quiet as a mouse it, on it, every it, Wednesday morning. It has morning. been interesting because a few times, obviously, there's a lot of issues that... that I don't play in. I mean, it, those those are negotiations and decisions among those. I remember a couple when, you know, kind of typically the way I am is the three are on this end. I'm sitting next to one of them, and across is one of the chief of staffs, and the other all four chiefs of staff are there. So there's eight of us actually, and I'm sitting there eating my eggs, and I'm thinking, okay, am I at the kids' table on this conversation, or should I at the adult conversation on this one? And there's there's times that I want to inject on a few issues because I've been around this place. I mean, I kind of almost embarrassed and ashamed to say, I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm kind of one of the old guys now uh, right. that have been around this process. And so you know a lot of that history on some of the issues they're talking about. Right. But it's kind of like, yeah, let this play out. And if they ask, then inject yourself. If not, that's not the reason I'm here at this table. You know, I'm, I'm really there to talk about the numbers and the finances and a lot of the questions they have. And, and we talk about that a lot, which is healthy. And it's a good distraction from some of the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but dance back to the party. So you're seeing, I mean, you know, from outside, it looks like between Joe Strauss and Dan Patrick, you right. have pretty good personifications of the two ends right, of the party. Right, right. Um, uh, you and Greg Abbott and some others have done a pretty good job of not identifying only with one end of the party. Um, but what do the primaries look like coming up and how do you kind of wander through that? 
Well, I mean, for me, uh, you know, the fact is, is I've gotten out of if, if legislators or members, uh, same as others that I know that have uh, got a good, strong relationship, want me to you know, come to an event or help be engaged, I will. I mean, you, you want to help those that I've obviously helped you and members that are, are good legislators and good members, yet I don't see my role as trying to pick one side or the other. You know, I feel like in the last two legislative sessions, yeah, there's times to where there's been, and, and, and come on, I mean, in, in the fight's last session, use rainy day fund, don't use rainy day fund. I mean, right. I was quoted on both sides quite a bit, right. um, quite a bit, and, and that's fine, because our job is to put information out, give them kind of those menu options, but then their job is to decide which menu options they want. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't think I should play that public role picking and choosing. That, that's my opinion. I used to have that vote, and I don't have that vote anymore. So I, I, I've got to make sure that I work with everybody on whatever their issues are, uh, make sure that we provide information to members, whether you're in a different party or not, that's really irrelevant. I mean, you know, I was sitting talking to Donna Howard earlier, and one of my uh, staffers, and they were like, oh, this is a bipartisanship. Well, yeah, I mean, right. I, I'm working with all the members, and even within my own party. So yeah, is, is there, and I spoke earlier to the State Republican Executive Committee uh, before I came over here, and, and I made the point, as I've done in a lot of Republican events that I've got, is like, yeah, there's a fight within the state of Texas, within the Republican Party, but that's okay. I mean, everybody needs to be at the, at the table. Everybody needs to be at the room. And I think a healthier discussion, you know, I'm not the type that I just want yes people around me. I mean, I, I want people that are gonna say, Glenn, that's a dumb idea, because that might save me from something really dumb. Yeah. You know, you want that. And so it's the same in a party. You're gonna have that discussion, and you just hope that it doesn't get personal. You're gonna and, be in and, and we've seen that, and I think that's the part where it needs to come down a notch. You going to be involved in any primaries? Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I will probably uh, help some people, yes, but I'm not going to get involved in all of them. I, I try to shy away from getting involved in other people's elections. You know, yeah. I, I learned that lesson. Um, I had a county commissioner that was uh, quietly involved in my first state rep race. With then, you or against you? Uh, against me. Um, and so uh, the next election cycle, um, I helped his opponent. <laughs> it didn't help much, let's just say that. Um, so I called the commissioner. I said, okay. All right, you want to support my opponent next time? I supported yours, you know that, very visible. We'll call it even. And, and we've got a good working relationship. Uh, sometimes that's just, that's part of it. And yeah. you know, I just felt like I'll call up and say, my bad, uh, you won pretty handily and let's work together. And I mean, funny thing is that's my own, my own county commissioner in Fort Bend County, uh, you know? And, and we've got a good relationship. But I think you own up to those things and you move on. Is there some call inside the party to try to get people like you to declare sides. Look, we're having a war over here in the House. We're yeah. trying to get this guy elected or that guy elected I, so that we can keep that guy or not, you know, and we need people I like mean, you to weigh in. I mean, the good thing is, is there know, some of that? people can always ask. Um, I, I made this comment to somebody the other day. They were like, okay, well, what should I put down? I said, put down anything you want. You know, the thing is, I can always say no. So that's, right. but I think a, a lot of that is, I think a lot of folks realize kind of how I'm trying to do my role as controller mm -hmm. and I think even though most of them probably know that I'm not trying to get in those fights even though I agree with both sides on various issues and, there, and there's things I disagree with them on yeah. but again they're the legislature and that's their fights okay we have a mic over here and a mic over here if you guys would like to ask any questions if you'll line up um, it also helps you wake back up yeah uh, if um, you fell asleep and I'll give you the regular Evan Smith admonition, questions, not speeches. Uh, the Emily Ramshaw version is end every sentence with a question mark. Um, Dr. Greenfield. Well, first, I'd like to apologize to the
the controller and his staff for an oversight that I made. It's all good, Stuart. Okay. To, to, the, to the question. Have you given thought, you do the biennial exemption and incident yes, study. Yes, 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 yes. And if you do more that if we taxed groceries and medical, we would cement our um, status as having the most regressive tax system in the country so, and raise more money. So right. wouldn't that be a winner? Well, that, you know, we put that report out, obviously, and that's what I made the comment when I was at Ways and Means that, you know, I've got that report, I can send it to you, it's got a lot of great no, data. And then and some of those we can't, you know, we can't determine. Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Sure. One over here. Dennis Borrell, Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, Mr. Controller. So I was intrigued by your comment about the coastal school districts needing yes, to retain their staff while their students are displaced. Right. This is a similar situation. There's a workforce that serves the coastal seniors and people with disabilities who are caregivers, the community attendants who allow them to stay in their own home. Right. Now, if those people have been displaced, and many of them have, right. those low-paid caregivers, those community attendants, have lost their income. There's already a huge worry that that workforce is fragile. Could you see extending that same philosophy of keeping school district personnel to provide compensation or income so these community attendants don't go off to other jobs and then are able to serve their constituents. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, both the House and the Senate is preparing hearings on, on Hurricane Harvey, uh, Senate Finance and House Appropriations are, are both in the works. And I think, you know, a lot of these, all these issues are going to be brought up. You know, the public education side of it is since we have a, a constitutional obligation and whereas we do have an obligation in many other areas, but my point is to separate out one, what is the constitutional, what is the statutory, and then what is the good policy? And I think that's kind of the tiers that, that you look at. And I think the points that you make, you know, when people are displaced and then, you know, their incomes are gone because the people are displaced, or do they move, or if they even have a home anymore, do they have somewhere they can go? I mean, all these things need to be really talked about, and the legislature trying to figure out what is the right thing to do, and, and, and how much can we do with the resources that we have? I mean, that, that's a great point that you bring up. but. But I, I, I would pause before I would say yes to the answer your, to your question, with, with all due respect, you know, because those are decisions that, again, not trying to punt, but just that separation. But I think it's important to bring all it up. And you've got a good point there. I mean, that's a very good point. That's a very take, fragile, take that it's a very fragile community. You're yeah. right. Do you expect to get pulled into the recovery thing that Sharp's running? And like a lot of former no, controller I mean, types know, over there uh, and your predecessor I think, I think, in the Senate seat. I think Sharp, when people said, hey, you know, I've never met a czar. And, and he's joking. He goes, yeah, the last one got shot in Russia. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of glad he's the czar and I'm not, is my point. But um, do you expect your office to get pulled into we'll, that? We'll play a role. Yeah, 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 we'll play a role. But, you know, we'll play kind of a behind the scenes role role on helping with the numbers and data and information and we've already been helping in some areas of that okay but it's a more behind the scenes role okay yes sir hi my name is Samuel Tease I go to Sinker Ranch High School in Portland yeah. County um, uh, you mentioned the idea of building a third reservoir yeah and I wanted to know why um, that's the best option as opposed to something like planting more trees which will consume flood water um, or something else so well, I, I just wanted to know yeah no that, that's a good question back in the in the 40s when the two reservoirs were being built there was actually a plan to build a, a, a very large levee up in the North Harris County, Waller County area, which would be, retain that oversheet flow when it rises up in the Cypress watershed and then flows over into the other sheds. Now that, that was never built, 
Um, obviously, we were in a war, got out of the war, then the, then the nation was on recovery, building roads, building other assets. And the reason, yeah, more trees are great, but when it rains 35 inches in Katy, Texas, the tree's not gonna soak up all the water. I mean, you've got to have a bucket that can hold that water and slowly release it out over time before the next event comes. So, I mean, I think that having a more uh, environmental friendly uh, effort is good, but you gotta retain it. And it is a lot at one time. I mean, unbelievable to know that there's so much water that literally the weight of the water in the Houston area alone caused the Earth's crust to sink two centimeters. I mean, you, that's a lot of water. Yeah. And so you've got to retain it back. Now, having trees is great, but again, they're not gonna soak up that much water when you have that type of event. Okay. Yeah, Thank but you. great question. Thank you. Over here. Hi, I serve on the Austin ISD District Advisory Committee, and I'm also a student council president of my high school. Congratulations, or condolences, and, whichever right, one. Right, of course. Uh, one of my biggest concerns is school finance, and as we all know, recapture plays a significant role right. in how we fund different and various school districts across the state of Texas. But seeing as how Houston was an emerging payer in the recapture process, is there going to be additional strain on places like Austin and Dallas to cover for the loss of revenue from? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. That's one of the things that, that we're looking at in my team, and I had some preliminary numbers last week on what is the federal disaster area, what is the loss in value, because we know there's 100,000 plus homes that have, been, that have been damaged, multiple businesses damaged, you have a lot of vehicles that have been damaged, all the, all the destruction that has occurred and that loss in value that will occur on the rolls next year, and some will occur a slight roll uh, change this year, what is that amount because that's going to impact school finance but to me that that change would really be the state would make up that share not shift it on to other school districts to pay a greater share so it houston's really supposed to throw in 116 million right. i think somewhere, it is this somewhere year, around some, that somewhere number and you think the state would have to do that instead of an austin yeah, or yeah a, that is that is correct else. the state would have to make up that decrease not another school district but good question thank you yeah, what, thank you what's going to happen to you know i know you don't do property taxes right on the nose but you do property values right what's going to be the effect of the storm on property taxes are are people in these areas going to end up with a yep. big bump in their taxes yeah one one of the things that's been a big discussion in my office and trying to help uh, leadership figure out and and some of the small com the communities as well right. is current law is that for your house or just say your house because that's the most simplistic not get off into other types of properties if if you had damage which in this event, and then let's say, for example, it's wiped away. It's just gone. Oh, we've got a land value. You just right. have land value. And so you're still gonna pay property tax on it as though it was there at the beginning of the year. The only way to have that difference is to have a reappraisal. But the only way for a reappraisal is the local entity has to ask for the reappraisal and they have to pay for the reappraisal. But they already don't have the money to fund government, so how are they gonna do the reappraisal? Right. But one of the things that, that can occur and TA is looking at different mechanisms alone for the school finance side. But when there's a disaster like this, you don't have to pay that entire property bill at the first of the year. You actually can pay it in four installments. And, and I would highly suggest that people do that. And we've been trying to promote that and the locals will continue to promote that because that will buy time for if there is some type of uh, adjustment, new creative way yeah. to help those people out. Okay, okay. Which, where are we? Hi, Stephanie Reyes with the San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. Um, have there been any discussions and what are your thoughts on, dare I say, a state income tax? She said it. I'd say there's not much thought whatsoever. Um, you know, I, 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 maybe, um, I don't even know if there's a member of the legislature 
who has has recommended that. Alon you know, Burnham left. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he was the guy. He was the guy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> no, I mean, the fact is, for that to occur, you would have the legislature think it's a good idea, which they don't. The voters don't think it's a good idea. It would have to pass the House, the Senate, the governor give it a thumbs up. Then it would have to go to the voters in the state of Texas because we have a constitutional prohibition on a personal income tax. It would have to pass the state of Texas. And most bills die over there in that process. And I can promise you that one is just, it is, it is a non-starter. And, and really it needs to be a non-starter because Texas is one of the very few states that doesn't have a personal income tax. And if you look at Texas gaining 299,000 jobs in the last 12 months, gaining jobs 22 out of the last 24 months, not having a personal income tax is one of the reasons that this economy continues to grow and expand and has grown at that 3.8% rate over the last 20 years, which has outpaced pretty much every other state in the nation. So that, that, that is a good benefit for Texas, and I would really think the day that that would ever be taken away, which I don't see how it would, I think that would hurt the Texas economy. Thank but thank you for that question. So you're not open to that? No. <laughs> yes, sir. Hello, uh, my name is Juan Segovia. I am from Texas Westland University, and I have a question for Glenn. Um, what do you have to say to young millennials interested in Texas politics or, or interested in contributing to Texas politics? Uh, where should one start and where to go from there? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I had I'd spoke to a, a, a younger millennial group here not too long ago, and I was making the point to them that, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at what percent of age demographics vote, take the 18 to 24 uh, age range, for example, have one of the lowest participation rates. You take those that are 65 and older and have the highest participation rate. And my point to them was, it's really interesting that of the demographics of folks, the people that have the biggest, longest impact whatever policy decisions are being made, because you have the highest life expectancy of all these age groups, are the ones that participate the least. Which is pretty, if you think about it from that standpoint, that's pretty amazing. So, you know, one, I think educate, educate yourself is important and the way the media cycles are now and, it, and try to educate yourself from different sources. And, you know, I like to open up, I mean, I'll do it on social media where I'll go, I'll trail one place and I'll read stuff that normally I would not be in for whatsoever. But it's interesting because I think you need to educate yourselves on all different aspects of it because then you can play a much greater contribution in understanding the arguments on both sides if you have a position. And, and getting involved, just get involved in, in, in election. Pick a race, whether it's at the local county level, city level, uh, whether it's at the state level, however you want to. And I think that, that gives you uh, an insight on, on how the process works and getting you a seat at the table to learn and move to the next level. So I, I think it's critical, I really do. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you'd get more involved, that'd be fantastic. Good question, thank you. I think we got time for one okay. more here. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Dana Jepson, and I've worked for the state for 20 years, and probably 17 of those years I've followed pension policy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so of course, the closer I get to retirement, the more interested I am in that. And I've, uh, you know, the legislature has underfunded the state pension fund probably 18 of the last 20 years. And now we're at a place where the LBB has ruled that the states hit the constitutional max, but we have a big unfunded liability. Do you have an opinion on using some of the economic stabilization fund on 
pension debt? Yeah, part of my uh, economic stabilization fund concept was that portion that you would make a higher return on. Put a lockbox on that where, no disrespect to my friends, but they can't spend that for just any purpose whatsoever. Really have it come out as per the long-term liabilities those aspects for pensions because as, as you know we're at the constitutional cap of 10 percent the only way around that is another revenue source and or the governor call an emergency which I, I you know not the governor but i doubt the latter is going to occur so texas unlike several other states we're not that far off from being actuarially sound you know we're not we're not a new jersey we're not a illinois and you know just to right. pick on those i mean the the gap is so far I mean, they're down in a thousand foot hole trying to look at how they get out. I mean, we're not, we're not in that situation. And you know, you, yes, the discussion is, well, let's just convert off and you know, go from a divine benefit to a divine contribution. And, and that, but you need to transition off because all those that have retired, you can't afford that bill. I mean, that's billions and billions right. and billions of dollars. And that's what most people, you, that's why you gotta educate yourself and get to understand it. So, you know, that's my point is if we would just have these dollars, invest them like we do, and, and you're not going to, in a down market, you're going to ride it back up. That's why, that's how endowments work. And then make sure that you pay all the pension, the pension issues, deferred maintenance, those type of long-term liabilities, it's fixed. Now, if you want to deal with, um, you know, the, the healthcare side of it, which is another growing, which is a whole nother discussion, but you're gonna to have to continue to make some changes to those pensions over time. But Texas is close. We're not like the other states. So yes, I would, and that's why I framed it, that discussion last session in trying to deal with ESF because we're not putting it to work now and that's, that's in essence new money. Right. It's new money, right. new money. And it doesn't cost anything to get it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the 20 years. <laughs> new money is a good word to end on. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, All right. Texas thank Controller you. Glenn Hager. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.